your comic book pit. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. $135. Now, you have, you have a non-first print, or... No, I have... Hold on, I actually have it right next to me. I have a first print of it. You can't come to your wrist at all times. Exactly. <laughs> um, it was it's graded... You got it pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, mine's not a great... Like, a great copy. It's only, like, a... It's only a f- graded as, like, a five. Mm. Like, I actually have it slabbed. Um, so, I don't know what mine would be worth. Okay. But I'm, I'm assuming his is... I imagine if it's if it's going for a buck thirty-five, then it must be a pretty pristine copy. Yeah. I know Cable was a popular character, and it's probably going gonna, to become even more popular now that he's going to be on the big screen, but... Probably not with books, since was the, I think I heard the the thing... I think Marvel is trying to get rid of their mutants, and they basically did. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, you, you heard correct. No more mutants. Nice. I don't know exactly <laughs> how. To, I read that too, and it's you know it's what we've known is that with the, the movie rights not belonging to them, they're reluctant to add to the property. Any new addition, just sort of. We discussed this last time, Sean. You should listen to the show because everyone's <laughs> becoming new uh, Inhumans. Yeah, I kind of heard that too, and I was just like, "Well, I guess that's." It just seemed like that was what they're just going to try to say now. Like, I hope you heard it. They're Inhumans. I hope you heard it on the comic book pit episode two twenty nine. No, this episode. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. No. Okay. You have failed Stop this plugging. Test. It's not plugging. It's, it's the show we're on. This is the time to plug. Wait, it's episode what? 230 now. That's right. Yes, it is. You got that 230 feeling? <laughs> no, it's like three minutes at nine. <sighs> oh, God. Here we go. Womp, womp. This is what happens when we don't have the Duke. <laughs> he traded me for the Duke. Now everything's falling apart. Duke, and then not the Duke. Well, we got the, well, the question. Well, to, to, to Duke or not to Duke, yeah. And the, the Duke is uh, providing uh, security for Charlie Daniels right now. What? Ooh. That was very Duke-esque, too. I didn't I'm mean it. Do the, the headlock. Do a headlock. Yeah. So, yeah, we are, so the Duke went down to Georgia to have himself a time. <laughs> the Duke went down to Georgia. That's right. Uh, so it's uh, 
So in the comic book pit tonight, it's just uh, myself. I'm Dan. I'm Jared. And I'm Sean. And like Jared said, it's episode 230. And as usual, comic books, comic book related things, talk, news, things. Um, I don't know. Is anything, I don't know if anything like uh, really I feel like big has happened no, this week. Anything like well, new or noteworthy? I, well, I heard about... Uh, I just saw the trailer, I believe, last night. I, I meant to rewatch it again, but I think the uh, Warner Brothers uh, DVD animation, they're releasing Batman 66, Return of the Cape, or something, or Return of the Cape Crusader or something like that. Oh. Make it Burt Ward and Adam West to reprise yeah. roles. I think I, yeah, that's that coming is, out. That, nope. That's something. Yeah, I uh, I did see that. It's funny because I saw some uh, creator, I forget who it was, like, uh, and, and on like social media be like, you know, they, they have the rights. Like, why don't they just do something with that property? And then like a day later, I see that post. Or maybe, you know, a week later, I'm being facetious. but Well, it uh, was like, it's the 50th anniversary of that show being on. Well, it was. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That was the proper way to say that. Um, yeah, so no, it, it does make sense. They're all... Who's all still alive? Is it just those two? And um, uh, uh, who's the, the, Eartha the woman? Eartha Kitt. Okay. Well, Is they, that it? They got uh, the other Catwoman, I guess, is the voice, but I would rather Julie have... Julie uh The other one. Meriwether? Okay, Lee Meriwether? Lee, okay. Lee Meriwether. I think. Yeah, I think that was it. That that Yeah, I think she's alive, too. That sounds... I can't recall hearing that she's not. So, but, are they doing new villains? No, I think they're just probably just rehashing a couple of the older villains, just, you know, just in Batman 66 style. Gotcha. I don't know if they're going to try and do... I think because they were doing that Batman 66 comic book. Um, I didn't read it. I read a couple... Like, there was a, a Kevin Smith penned miniseries that I read. Uh, I read like the final issue of the regular series because it was drawn by Mike Allred. Uh, I think I actually talked about that here on the comic book pit last year. Um, but that was it. I, I, I didn't read it regularly. And I think they were doing... I think I'd seen that they like introduced Harley Quinn and maybe even tried to do Bane. Don't quote me on that. Like I know that they hmm. did Two-Face, which was someone that you know they never <laughs> got to on the show. I didn't know they introduced Harley Quinn. That would have been kind of interesting. Like I said, don't quote me, but I feel like that. Yeah, I thought I thought they did. And uh, so I don't know if maybe they would just try that with you know this. I mean, you got you really. I mean, I say why not? I mean, you only have a limited number of your cast that's available. It does say Julie Newmar. Oh, is it? Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar. Return for animated Batman movie. I don't know. I'm so. kind of interested in it. See how it works. Yeah. How did it look? How did the animation look? Kind of muted colors the way I saw it. Oh, that's weird. Like, I mean, it looked like them, and it looked like their costumes. From okay. The show, but 
I guess I kind of expected it a little bit more like Batman Brave and the Bold. I would expect a brighter palette from it, given, you know, the nature of the show. I wouldn't expect them to go, like, the dark angle with it. That's that surprise. I, I guess I have to watch it and check it out for myself. But, um, hmm, that's interesting. But, yeah, as far as, like, big news, I don't, I can't think of anything from the world of comics that was, like, Gadzooks ground shattering. Yeah, nothing really, uh. It was a slow week. We're in the, the doldrums of late summer. Oh, I want to ask you something. You said you, um, you posted online, Dan, out here on the Comic Book Pits Facebook page. That you read the Suicide Squad. I, hope, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun on your. Uh, well, no, that's okay. We can we can we can hop into comics. We don't have to. It, it, we're scraping the barrel for me. Yeah, we don't have to grasp <laughs> at things to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I um, I did read. If yeah, if we can jump right in. Um, I did read the Suicide Squad Rebirth issue, and I was this was kind of the first. The first wall I hit in the in all the rebirth okay. books that I've read so far, this is the first one that was just not and for me not good. And that that surprises me for multiple for many reasons. A, um, it's the, you know they just had the movie come out, so you think they would want it to they probably would have put extra effort into it. And in a sense, I feel like they may have because Jim Lee drew it, and so I was kind of surprised you know that the book that seemed to be there. No punches pulled. Book is the one that kind of missed the mark. Oh well, this, no, this wasn't the ongoing. This was the this was the one shot. Oh, oh, okay. What came out? I thought it was so. It was not the one that just came out this week. No. Oh. This was the one that was um, drawn by. Uh, I always get the two tans mixed up. Um, Philip Tan. Okay. Um, who is pretty much you know he's uh doing his best to ape jim lee in this issue um but there's also three anchors which kind of just is not the the, the inking really just kills the art in this book hmm. but i can't even really speak to the story because i don't because it, it's it, it just seems like it's the kind of the opening it, it would be just like the opening credit or the opening uh introduction to like the suicide squad movie where they're just you know they're introducing the team which is only harley uh boomerang and deadshot and kind of like the movie yeah and you've got waller amanda waller who is trying to uh coerce rick flag into leading the team and it's just it, it, I don't know. Kind of garbage. Kind of garbage. Um, the, the one thing that they that they're doing in this, at least in this this issue, that they they also did in the movie is, you know, they they've got this the the, the team going up against this like you know like a like a something that's significantly more powerful than them, and um giant balls of energy and you know it looks like it's going to destroy a city and uh, that, it's like yeah, so they're they're out man you want the the boomerang throwing guy the dude that has wrist guns and then that half naked lady with a giant hammer 
Right. Those, that's the skill set you need for flaming. <laughs> they have, like, almost everyone on the Suicide Squad is either, you know, uh, is proficient in projectile weapons, or if you're Killer Croc, you're really strong okay. and, and violent, I guess. I, um, yeah, it's, and it, it just, like, they should, the team should be doing things more appropriate for their skill set. Again, just like the movie. Exactly. You know, and, and, and this is what, you know, when the Suicide Squad was around in the 80s, that's what they did. You know, they they went and did the dirty jobs that the U.S. government could not do. That and that meant going into other countries and, you know, I mean, it was, they got their hands dirty, but they weren't, they weren't the team that, that uh, faced off against you know, yeah. dark side or yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say too. They're not, they're not the Justice League in prison jumpsuits, right? And they're not, they're not the Guardians of the Galaxy. They're, they're, they're they should be a more, like a more boots on the ground, down and dirty. You know, it should. I mean, if they're supposed to be the dirty dozen of the DC universe, then write them like that. Don't, yeah, don't. Put a bunch of gun-toting psychopaths up against, you know, like I said, a, a dark side or another, yeah. you know, world beater. So, um, yeah, this I, I thought this the, the story just was kind of lame, and the art just uh, was not good. Like I said, I, I don't think three anchors helped it much. Which you know, three anchors for a relaunch book like that, like what happened? Like who? That that seems smacks to me of some ill preparation. Yeah, like they were. I think they were trying to rush and you know get it out there, maybe in time for the movie. Who knows? Yeah, but I mean, you would think that they knew what they were doing. I don't. Did they, I mean, did they come in like in May and be like, "Fellas, we're rebooting everything. Figure it out." Yeah, you think that they had maybe a little bit more lead time? You would hope. One would hope from you know. Uh, a massive corporation such as DC Entertainment that they, you know, had some sort of advanced preparation. Sure, like we like DC books, but <laughs> we're not afraid to crap the yeah. mouse. Um, no, I mean, I, like I said, I, I've enjoyed every every book that you know yeah. that I've read up to this point, and that was the one where it just <laughs> it just I stopped dead in my tracks. It was, and I'm like. It, you know, it's like they just basically put the movie on the printed page. Yeah. Like, really? You guys couldn't do any better than the movie you put out? That's true. So. That's, you, know, you mentioned that they're not Guardians of the Galaxy, and, like, the, the the trailers for the movie and the way it was being sold, it sort of felt like it was going to be DC's Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that's what we all were expecting. And right. uh, it certainly it, it didn't have the heart. Guardians, League. it could have been DC's Guardians of the Galaxy, but it, oh it yeah, lacked the heart. I mean, and just because you know Guardians of the Galaxy, like you said, they do, they did take on like a world beater, if you will. Um, that worked, and I said, I don't, I don't know if I have the answer for a Suicide Squad. I, I, I thought maybe I think we all agree, maybe something a little smaller. Um, still have high stakes, but maybe a little smaller in scope. Mm-hmm. You know, MacGuffin would have been something more fitting for them. Like an Ocean's Eleven with super villains. 
may may have been more. Yeah, I, I, I feel it. like you know, it's just the the execution. It's not a bad Suicide Squad is not a bad idea. It's just poor execution of that idea. Yeah, and I'll be and in that even that movie they made, there may be something in there that was worthwhile, but it just tried to do way too much in a limited amount of time. Like we said, yeah. I don't want to rehash our Suicide Squad review, but it just you, I hear this book and it sounds like they still are just like it makes you like like you have this car- this property you don't seem to understand it, and yet then there's those, I don't know how much you read Suicide Squad, Dan. I, I'm a novice at it. But even I kind of was able to like get the quick takes on it and sort of get the idea of what it should be and what it shouldn't be. Right. It it it's not a concept that that requires a lot of in depth um, explanation or. I mean, it's the Suicide Squad. It is what it is. You should be able to just jump in and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I. Yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with it. I mean, I've, I've read it here and there, um, but again, it's it, it's an idea that should that should sell itself. Yeah, it, it's almost like a no brainer how you know how simple the concept is and how easy it should be to to get across to the readers. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I'm not going to get into a whole like review of the movie. I mean, I saw yeah. it and... Did you see it last time? When we rec- or had you not seen it yet? I had not seen it yet. Okay. No. Um, and uh, let, me, let me just say, yes, it, I mean, I it, it, all the problems that I read going into it, uh, read about it going into it, um, they were all there. I mean, I, I don't have anything new to add about what was wrong with the movie, but... I will say, I, all that being said, I actually enjoyed it more than I did Batman v Superman. Okay, and that I think that's saying something because I did not enjoy. Well, there were there were very few points about Batman v Superman that I liked. Um, this was actually somewhat, you know, I, I had more fun watching this than I did Batman v Superman. Fair enough. You know, it's funny. I'm. I'm almost the flip side where I am, you know, an, auto, an admitted sucker for uh, guys. Did I cut out there for a second? Oh, yeah, for a second. Yeah. I pulled the wrong cord on my computer. Sorry. You, <laughs> am I still here? You're. Yeah, you said you're an admitted sucker for Zack the Zack Snyder Superman movies. Oh right. And um, I I, I enjoy you know warts and all. Man of Steel, even Batman v Superman. But I found myself unwilling to grant that same pass to um, Suicide Squad. Okay. I, I, I don't know why. I'm sorry, I'm doing something else at the same time. And it, oh, technology is, is failing me. Um, <laughs> no, so I found myself unwilling to give the same pass to... Uh, Suicide Squad that I gave the Batman v Superman. I don't really know why. I guess because I expected more from it. I felt that I don't know. I, I just was unwilling to just be like, all right, whatever. And that I well, mean, I enjoyed it, but I don't see myself like purchasing it. it no, exactly. And I, I and I, I think there's some validity to what you said. I, I think the trailers painted a different picture of what 
everybody was expecting. You know, like they, they as in the, the the trailers promised one thing, and the movie delivered something else. Yeah. Oh, like was it more serious in tone? Yes. Because the way I got from the commercials, I actually haven't seen it. I, I really don't have, like, I don't. I mean, it it, it didn't really catch my eye because I've never really been a fan of Suicide Squad. I mean, uh, as much exposed as I've been, it was like. Was it like a Justice League Unlimited uh, episode where they had Task Force X? But that's about it. Uh, but the commercials kind of just painted it like your Guardians of the Galaxy, like everything's super fun and and. Uh, um, I mean, you got Queens. Was it not Bohemian Rhapsody? Is it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it has a killer soundtrack. I'm not gonna lie; it does have well, a good soundtrack. But what? Yes, but that that. That's also the one of the problems. It's like they had to punctuate everything <laughs> with with a song. They they couldn't just let a scene play out or, yeah. or let let something develop naturally. They had to like absolutely punctuate it with some something that would kickstart your you know like the the, the fun center yeah. of your brain. It was too formulaic. It it, it uh. didn't do anything organically. It was mm-hmm. like, and here's the scene where the team bonds, and here's the scene where the the you know the plot turns, and here's the scene, you know, like the stuff was just it, it's because it did too much. Now, I don't know. Now you've seen it. I don't know if you think. I still contend, like as a Netflix series, it would have been way better if it could have just like taken everything in that movie, oh, sure. spread it out over you know eight, ten, thirteen hours, whatever. It, it would have been a much better served story, and I think all the emotional elements that they just forced upon us would have been given time to grow and would have much more uh, had a better payoff. Was the I guess was the Joker any good in that? I actually am, I don't really care for the Joker, but I, that's all I've been hearing is like he wasn't barely in it, or like you know that was he was actually signed up for or something like that. He was, yes and no. Well, as for, for for me, he was in it actually more than I thought he would be because, or from what I heard, because you you see him a lot in flashbacks, but then he still is part of the current. Yeah, I liked how they used the Joker. I like the take on the Joker. He's much more of like the gangster mob boss type Joker. Mm-hmm. They, I, and then um, I, I, I had no problem with the take. I had no problem with the aesthetic or the take or any of that. I actually kind of I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, and I actually liked how he was used in the in the narrative. So yeah, it's I like did... mostly in flashbacks? Uh, y- yes and no. I mean, I don't care if you guys spell the whole thing for me. I, okay. Yes I... and no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that, that's all we can really say. He's, he's in they, – because they, they – they show flashbacks with him and Harley, and then they show their current relationship. Yeah, and that's kind of that's it. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all Harley centric. Everything with the Joker is Harley centric. Yeah. The origin of Harley, the rise of Harley, and really, and, they do the origin of Harley Quinn. Yeah, really fucking fast. And, I, language. And, I forgot what show we're on. In in broad strokes, yeah, yeah. You don't really do they do. It, the it's still unclear, like. Thing? Yeah, yeah, it's there. but it's still it, it's unclear what about the Joker attracts her to him. Yeah, yeah, it's not none of that spread. It's 
she, she just, sh- you know, it's just like the, their first scene together as Dr. Harleen Quinn and the Joker, she's already kind of starry-eyed yeah. and lovesick. And then the next thing you know, it, they they allude to that she helps him bust out of Arkham, and then all of a sudden they're in a chemical factory with no explanation, and then she dives into the vat of chemicals. Yeah, at, at his, uh, you know, it requires a lot of just um, assumptions by the audience. There's, there's yeah. no hand-holding. Um, and sometimes that's good. Sometimes, you know, you need a little just a, a, a tour guide, if nothing else. You need a little bit of, yeah, you need a little bit of narrative yeah. in some cases. It's just relying um, on the audience to know these characters, which it makes me yeah, wonder exactly. something. If studios are now using trailers to do the job of basically first acts to sort of prepare the audience for the characters, introduce them and make us familiar with them so they don't actually have to do it within the body of the film itself. Or at least that's, I wonder if it seems like something Warner like had some like whack idea of what if we just introduce the characters in the trailers so when they come see the movie we don't have to introduce them within the the scope of the film itself. They just know them. And it makes for a really disjointed film then. Mm. And that's the sound of me blowing everyone's mind. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, it, it, you know, there's there's something to that because, uh, again, going back to, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, um, they kind of did a an introduction of the characters when they did the whole the trailer with the yes, uh, but then they also the police lineup did it within the movie itself, right? So but the only the only um, character in the movie that had an origin was Star Lord. Everyone else was just yeah. introduced. Like they didn't show Rocket Raccoon being, you know, built or no, you know, but while, you I know, still feel like you know, they get, that film gave us what we needed to know. Um to know the characters and then just like assume we knew it. And they also did it and James Gunn did it in a very um, deft way. Whereas this movie is just sort of like, boom, here they are. Like the first 40 minutes, Sean is really fun. Uh, it, it introduces the characters. It's very stylistic. It's kind of light and bubbly. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, it, it introduces us to like the main characters. It really dwells on like Will Smith and Margot Robbie. Um, that's about it. And then we get, like, just real quick hits on everyone else. And then about the next second act through the third act, it's it becomes just, like, a sequence of events. And then, like, they're supposed to be, like, emotional It's basically flows. a video game. Yeah, it's pretty, it pretty <laughs> much is. A video game. And the emotional there... beats aren't earned. They're just sort of like, here it is. Here's where the team bonds. And mm-hmm. you don't really feel it. It just, they just do it. Um, here's where, you know, they turn, you know, like the plot turns. Here's where they, you know, it becomes formulaic and it doesn't really earn those moments. It just sort of presents them. Whereas with like Man of Steel or Batman v Superman, I think it was just the novelty of seeing them all on the big screen at the same time. I forgave it. And then like the director's cut, that extra half hour, like at least fills in those head scratching moments. Mm-hmm. So I can I and then like I said I'm just a sucker for it. So I, I I see the flaws, but I'm like I don't care. I love it. Um, Suicide Squad. I'm just like yeah, I see the flaws, but yeah. <laughs> but I'm also not you know jumping down his throat. You know, I, 
yeah. what it was, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I just could have enjoyed it more, I felt. That's what I've been kind of hearing, too. Like, people, you know, say it wasn't great, but, I mean, it, it was kind of a fun romp here and there. And, that, and, and, I, and I think that's what makes it so disappointing is that the expectations were really high for it. Like, it seemed like it was going to be the Guardians of the Galaxy, in a sense, it was going to be that out-of-left-field, really fun, really enjoyable superhero movie, and it wasn't. It, mm. And, you know, it probably had the really good potential there. I mean, I never thought I'd ever see Suicide Squad ever mentioned to be made. Like, I always thought it was an interesting concept, but, you know, I never thought it was going to be made. Yeah, and I do feel, like, even the you know, here we are. made... In there's like the potential. I, I don't know. Maybe there's an edit of the film that where that potential is unlocked. Maybe it's four hours, but <laughs> that's what it took to get there. But it well, not not according to the director. Uh, according to the director, there will be no extended yeah. version. But that's you know, but a lot you know a lot can happen between here and you know yeah today and tomorrow because. You know they, you know Warner Brothers can't be happy about the the sharp uh, drop off no. that that the movie experienced, uh, which I think it was even a bigger drop off than Batman v Superman, yes. what what I understand. Thanks. So maybe they will, you know, uh, bring out an extended cut just to yeah, like, try and you know here's the good cut. <laughs> See, I I hope not because the killer like, edition. There you go, Warner Brothers. There you go. I did the job for you. Suicide Squad, the killer you know, edition. And, like, and, and if you're if you're going to go through that trouble to re-edit it and try to squeeze a couple more extra bucks, then you should have released that to the theaters instead. Yeah, true. No, no one's going to disagree with that, Sean. But it is show business, and so they might put business. Um, you know, I think we said enough about that movie. I do want to talk. We can uh, continue on the topic of disappointment. Uh, Please do. I read a comic book that kind of let me down. And ironically enough, the inside cover is a giant ad for Suicide Squad. Um, it's Art Ops number 10 from uh, the Vertigo line. And this is a series. I don't think I've talked too much about this series on, on this show. Um, it started out, Mike Allred was doing the pencils on it, so that's why I, I bought it. Um, he has since left. Uh, he does covers. Laura Allred does colors, but it's a different uh, artist now who illustrates it. And I was fine with that. I, I, I accepted that. Um, this particular issue is going to be tough for me to, like, here's what's happening, game, because it's like the plot is in full motion right now, so there's like, way too much to catch you up on. But what I read it, and I was a little disappointed because this artwork, which while I had accepted it as not being Allred, I accepted it for who it was and, and was embracing it for who it was, just felt sloppy and rush and like I don't know. If I look at something and feel like I could do it better, then I think it, it, it's failed in a sense. Hmm. Um, and I, I checked to see if there was other artists involved or anything because there are some moments where it just takes some real departures in quality. And and no, it's the same guy. And I don't know what happened or what's going on, but it kind of. I don't know, threw some cold water on my enjoyment of the storyline. And at, at a point where everything's coming to... This is a limited series. I think it's got two more issues. And at a point kind of where you... Were, I, I, the story I, I, I still enjoy, and I kind of dig what they're doing, but it's kind of tough to look past some of 
I felt was disappointing artwork to get into it. You know, when you drop in, what is this, four bucks, makes it, there's, there's expectations there. Um, I said, she's got two more issues left, so I'll stick with it just because I've come this far. Why not? I mean, exit the story and stuff I do like is just, man, it just kind of like Suicide Squad. You know, you had expectations, you were enjoying it to a point, and then there just was a drop in quality that kind of is difficult to ignore. Um, so, exit, that was Art Ops number 10. This is a, a quick take on it because if I tried to explain what's happening, I, 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 we'd be here for an hour. I do, I do like, okay. it's high con, for a comic, you know, it's very high concept, it deals with the world of fine art, and if like, you know, fine art, the idea is fine art is a living thing, and then there's this team of humans that sort of police it, and you know, like, if, like paintings like break out and attack cities and stuff like that, and they're there to protect art, but they also preserve art and stuff like that. Um, real, it's really cool high concept stuff, and I really enjoyed like the character relationships and everything. But like I said, I read this issue specifically. I was like, oh, maybe here's something. I'll pick this up and discuss it tonight. And it was not what I was expecting my takeaway to be. I, I was just like, oh, this kind of sucked. Um, because the artwork was just kind of weak. Hmm. Which I guess happens from time to time. Yeah, it happens. Uh, was, Sean, what do you got? Oh. It's a you're up. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's on. <laughs> I have Xenozoic Tales by Mark uh, Mark Schultz. Uh, actually, this is kind of an artist. I I can adjust this. That's better. Uh, Mark Schultz has always been one of those artists I I've, I've always heard about, and I've always seen like images that I really really liked, but I never had a chance to actually read it, and I've always heard of. Xenozoic Tales. So I finally got a chance, and I have to say, I really liked it. It's like, uh, just like everything that just like DC Comics would have put out in like the 50s. You know, weird dinosaur tales, you know? With gruff characters. Hmm. What I mean, yeah. aside from weird dinosaur tales with gruff characters, um, is there like what? What's the story? Is it follow a particular character? Or is it just sort of like an anthology type story? Uh, it follows a certain characters. Uh, I actually wrote down this, all this in notes. I lost my. Head. Uh, oh, yeah, it follows a uh, Jack Henrik. And Hannah Dundee. Uh, basically, the story goes that this big cala- uh, cataclysm happens and just wipes the world fresh. And somehow, dinosaurs come uh, into existence. No one knows. In this volume, it's volume one. So it's like from 87 to 90. Uh, no one really knows why there's dinosaurs. Uh, but they they are there and people exist with them and they, uh, for the most part, like Hannah Dundee, she's trying to figure out why the dinosaurs are about, but Jack, he's actually more of like, uh, you know, he just wants balance. He wants to find balance in life and exist with dinosaurs and so on and so forth. Um, 
think some of the thing like the artwork is just really great. Like it's really phenomenal. Like his earlier stuff, uh, Mark Schultz, it kind of reminds me of like Frank Frazetta or Frank Frazetta uh, comics uh, when he was working at EC and like creepy and stuff like that. Um, so that's always top notch. Some of the dialogue's a little hacky and uh, some of the slang. Uh, which I thought was kind of interesting, but it kind of fell through a little bit to me because it was like, I don't know what they're talking about. Because I guess there wasn't like a guide in the back to say like, um, I'm trying to think like one of the names that they would use for like a dinosaur, you know, like Finhead or something like that. And I'd be okay. like, why? So, I mean, but other than that, everything I... I thoroughly enjoyed it. I actually can't wait to get a couple extra bucks in my pocket. I'd definitely buy volume two. This one came out from Dark Horse like in 2003, I believe. It's black and white, uh, like 160 pages. It's a good read. I guess you pick Q. it up. Yeah, I know that's, that's one of those books I know that's just been kind of around for a long time. I've never, I never read it, but, it, I always remember seeing like ads for it, and it was, yeah, it always looked interesting. It's, it's, it's really good. It it definitely is really good. And apparently, there was like this big, huge thing in the early '90s with it. Like there was this video game, like a is that like a what beat 'em up? Was it called Cadillacs and Dinosaurs? You got it. Oh, that's right. It wasn't and wasn't there like a, was a, a cartoon? Brief, yeah, I was saying there was uh-huh. there was definitely an animated uh, series or something. Yeah, you can actually watch most of them. I watched maybe the first three on YouTube for free. So. Okay. Well, wasn't that cool. something? Well, uh, speaking of throwbacks, if I may interject at this juncture, I, uh, there's a book I do like that I have this week as well. This is one, um, last month I went on vacation to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and naturally while I was down there I had to hunt down the local comic book store. <laughs> um, so Coastal Comics in Myrtle Beach is where I went. And I've been, uh, over the years, putting together a collection of the Norm Brayfogle issues of, like, Detective Comics and Batman that he's done. And I found some that, I'll be honest, I didn't realize they had gone back this far. Um, and so I, I picked them up. And the one that I want to discuss is issue 579 of Detective Comics, a cover dated October 1987. So just to, to establish where it's uh, it's written, it's, I've been reading one. It's like Alan Grant, Norm Brayfogle was the creative team, but this is pre-Alan Grant. This is Mike Barr, Mike W. Barr and Norm Brayfogle. And this one, I loved it. Like, I didn't know what to expect, and I loved it because it was just like a classic, what we would now think, people of our age, like as a classic like superhero comic. That It's kind of a self-contained story. Yes, there are subplots that carry over and continue through, but it's basically a self-contained story. Like, it opens with a, a non-narrative flash page of, like, the, you know, the crime doctor's crimson clinic, and it's, like, this giant version of this doctor throwing a scalpel at Batman and Robin. And it's, uh, I'm pretty sure this is the Jason Todd Robin. And he's, you know, wearing the short pants and doing flips and stuff. And Batman, and that, that, this from Batman's dark-ish, but not too dark. And uh, I enjoyed. There's a scene where, like, with him and Robin, and they're busting up criminals, and Batman calls him chum, hmm. <laughs> which is awesome. 
Classic. And, uh, and if you're familiar with Norm Brayfogle's artwork, he's just a gorgeous cartoonist with a style all of his own. Just oh, absolutely. The things he does with page layouts and compositions is unparalleled. I know there's one panel here, I'm trying to find it, where like Robin's fighting someone. He's fighting like a group of like thugs or criminals or what have you. And like he pushes off something like for leverage. And in the way Braveheart would do it, he's pushing off like the border of the panel. And that is what's like, oh, that's genius. Like it's a very. So he. Braveheart really knows when to like put the backgrounds in and when to drop them out. And it's like one of those panels where it's dropped out. And it's just like Robin like propelling himself off the side of the panel like do a flip and like kick a criminal in the head and it is one of those things like yeah this is great um and the story was it's actually this crime doctor who's trying to like do some operation on some mob boss and using some like reformed stoolie as like a guinea pig like to take his um organs and batman's like hunting him down to find him you know to solve this big mystery and whatnot now like all oh, within like the 22 pages it's all there and batman's kind of like funny at times. There's a, bit, there's a scene where he's like actually smiling because he's using like Dr. Leslie Tompkins like computer to look up people's addresses and she's like giving him grief for like, you know, the unethical breach of like, uh, you know, looking through people's personal records to find clues and he just kind of gives a smirk like, you know, I'm the Batman it's what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just colorful villains. You know, they're no classic villains. I think there's like an allusion to Two-Face. You see like a hand flipping a Dirty Coin in one panel, but he's not actually featured. But just, like, really great character design for one of rather throwaway characters, ultimately. Just the good stuff. You know, when you finish reading a comic, you feel satisfied, and you feel like you got your money's worth out of it, and your time was well spent. And it just sort of, like, the reminds you, like, why you like it, and why you still dig these silly things, and will hunt them down and pay a little too much for them. And uh, like I said, mm-hmm. it, it was the good stuff. You know, I had one that was kind of let me down. I had to come back with one that, you know, picked me up. And you can never go wrong with a, a Norm Brayfogle Batman, if you ask me. Uh, I was a, a Brayfogle, like a Brayfogle fan, you know, when he was on Detective for a long time. I mean, he, he was one of the artists, especially when it came to, you know, me as a young you know, mm-hmm. a young reader and a young artist drawing Batman. He was probably the artist that I aped the most when it came to drawing Batman. He, for me, he was one of those guys before I even, like, was cognizant that I was, like, into them. Um, right. And as I sort of rediscovered him the last couple of years, I, I remembered... Because a lot of my comics I got through, like, the Sears catalog at Christmas. You get, like, that 30-pack of random comics. And sort of like whatever came in. And, and so that was really how I built it. So it would be random one-offs with his stuff. And then there was like the, um, there was like a mud pack, but all the different clay faces. Yep. Like that was like one of the first like mini series, even though it was done within the context of Detective Comics. Like I remember going to the new comic book store in town. This was like the late 80s, early 90s in Williamsport. And like getting those and like, oh, and collecting that little run. And, I mean, I was so young enough, there was, like, a Batman the movie book you could send away for, and I cut the coupon out of the book. So, I mean, I didn't have the reverence for keeping the comics in there because I cut the coupon out of it to mail away for the book. Um, but 
So I remembered I rediscovered. I remember seeing those, and like I had those random ones, and I've I've really filled in the run. Like there's definitely more that I have than what I need. I'll put it that way. I, I've I'm almost got all of them. Um, so like I said, being able and that's what was cool, just going to this you know random comic shop in you know Myrtle Beach and finding two copies, you know, two comics of this run that I didn't even realize I was missing because I had done some research to see how far back it went. And this, I must have, I don't know what happened. I didn't realize it went back this early. So mm-hmm. that was, like, awesome. I was like, all right, five bucks a piece. Like, that's a little steep. I'm used to paying, like, maybe two, three for them, but screw it. Like, when am I going to find these again? So here you go. Ten bucks. I'll take those, too. And uh, like I said, loved them. Just loved them. That, those stories and the way they the, the characterization of like Batman and Bruce and supporting cast at that time. I really love like when Alan Grant was the writer because like his Bruce Wayne was kind of um, kind of a loser. Like he's like pining for Vicky Vale, and he kind you know he always gets all nervous and sweaty and fumbles over his words when he's talking to her and stuff, and then he gets all mopey and he's like and, and he gets all like waxes like. He's like, how can I love her when I'm, you know, the Batman? Then he becomes like <laughs> Batman. Like this is Batman. Like Batman's like, is like Peter Parker. And it's like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be Batman, but this is a Batman that's not, you know, what we've come to know Batman since then as the infallible Batman. This is a very human Batman, and that's even though it's a 30 year old comic or 25 year old comic, it's kind of still refreshing to read, given like everything we've seen since then. Um, that's why those run that this run of books just sort of I got a soft spot for them too. And you're right, that Norman Braithwaite artwork, one of those artists that like influences me and probably you and all of us without us even realizing that we were doing stuff. Like just cocking eyes, like I really, oh shit, that's from Norman Braithwaite. Yeah. The way I cock like an eye when I draw characters and stuff. Yeah, between him and uh, I think at the same time, Jim Jim Aparo was on Batman. Mm-hmm. And those two guys were so influential on me as a, you know, like I said, as as far as like looking at artists and like, you know, as, as, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I was sort of like identifying things that stick out to us. Like that was like for me, like the first time I like really noticed like, oh, there's like certain, the language of art that I never really noticed before mm-hmm. I noticed like with for me it was like Norm Bravel yeah Paro too but like Bravel obviously is the one that impacted me yeah more definitely but yeah you certainly can't slate Jim Aparo and his contribution like I've sort of not as feverishly been piecing together like some Brave and the Bolds from like the 70s and those are all Aparo books and those are just like gorgeous too and they're for you know their own reasons Mm-hmm. And then I do really enjoy like those old comics that did like the one and done stories. Like it's it's kind of re- nice to read that. Everything we get now is serialized and you know event structured, and sometimes it's nice just to have like a complete book. And that's not to say like they are complete, but they also have like you know those plot lines that run through. But yet there was still that just some I don't know. I don't, maybe we're just getting old and <laughs> harkening yeah. back to simpler times as as we hurdle closer towards the end but yeah like, that's a possibility i mean it's it's good to read a grand like a big grand story that keeps continuing but sometimes you just want to finish a story yeah 
Yeah, and then like you know, and then next time a brand new adventure. Like there's there's a quaintness to that. Well, I feel like the uh, you know like doing a single issue story is is got to be a lost art now. Yeah, it's not too many. I think the yeah. last time I read anything remotely close, uh, Batman's on my mind, was um, a two-issue run that Snyder and Capullo did with Clayface. And for me, for me it was like one of the, the strongest stories that they did, and it's probably the most easily forgotten two issues, too. There's just two issues done, and it was really powerful. And I was like, man, I wish they would do more of these like smaller stories because then then they went to like zero year which was like 30 issues it felt like and and kind of like and kind of i don't know it's kind of like uh shorten it up and i didn't want to end like i love that team so much on that book but there was times where it was like all right wrap it up fellas but then there was like that two issues like dude more like those two issues you know it's like those were good yeah you don't really see self-contained stories it's all just the next chapter in this like epic tapestry Mm-hmm. Well, I, not, I'm going to say this, then I'll, I'll get us back on track with uh, with the comics talk. But I think the um, the there's um I think Warren Ellis is he's one of the only people I know currently who who is very masterful at telling single issue stories. Um, he did it with the the last volume of Moon Knight. Uh, I think he did the first five or six issues of that run, and every issue was self-contained and amazing. And there was a there was a brief period where he was he randomly filled in um, on one of the runs of Secret Avengers when um, it was when Bucky was Captain America and Steve okay. Rogers was wearing his Captain Steve. Yes, outfit like yes. his dark blue with the white star yep. in the, but he was leading the Secret Avengers. Um, Warren Ellis just randomly did a, about a, a, a half a dozen or so single issue Secret Avengers stories, and they were every one was just like a master class in storytelling. So, I would you know if, if if anyone's interested in what we're talking about, like seeing how how you you know tell a single issue story you could probably pick up just about anything from Warren Ellis. Yeah. And, I'll and, keep that in mind. And you're right, it is it is a lost art and it's a, it's a bit of a shame. Yeah, because but that's just the way the industry is now. It's it's all geared toward the collected yeah. editions. Yeah. Um okay, so getting back on track and Sticking in the Bat family, uh, I picked up Batgirl number one, the ongoing, and this is uh, Barbara Gordon, and she's still her. She's still the Batgirl from the from the previous run, where it was a, uh, you know, Brendan Fletcher and Cameron yeah. Stewart, Babs Tar, their their, uh, you know. Uh, Hipster Batgirl? Yeah, I guess that wasn't the word. I was. I'm having a hard time finding my words tonight. Um, but this is the this is still that Batgirl. This is a continuation of her story. So she's not a completely um, reworked or redone okay. Batgirl. Uh, this is still 
Barbara Gordon from that story. She has left Gotham, and she is doing basically like kind of a a backpacking trip across. Well, I don't know if, how far she's going. It, this issue picks up. She is the first issue. She is in Japan, and she's just uh, you know. I don't know if she's there on official business or if, um, you know, this is her version of a vacation and she just happens to have all her Batgirl stuff with her. Um, but this was a, this was a really fun first issue. Um, it was written by Hope Larson, um, who I, I've heard the name before. I don't really know her work, but the art was by Raphael Albuquerque. Oh yeah. Wow. Who I'm a big fan of, you know, if you've read, um, American Vampire, um, you know, he was, he, he did a majority of that book and he's, he's just a, you know, and he, he really brings his A game to, to this book. And, um, this was a good story. It's like, you know, it's, it's, um, Barbara just having an adventure in Japan. She actually runs into an old friend at a youth hostel and she's also there to meet and interview this, a very old woman who, in the 1940s, fought crime at, under the guise of uh, she was called the Fruit Bat. Uh-huh. Um, sounds kind of goofy, but you know the way they the way they show, you know, um, the way they show it, the way they explain it, it was, you know, it was really it was neat to see how, you know, Barbara's interested in, you know, how they fought crime in different generations and you know, how that, how she could, you know, her, her, um, her intent was to, you know, talk to the woman who was the fruit bat, who was basically like the 1940s bat girl, but in Japan, um, and, you know, kind of pick her brain basically like, how did you, how did you do it? And how do I, you know, how do I learn from, Mm -hmm. from you type of thing? Um, yeah, so and so um, you know the, the next issue she's off to Singapore. So it's like she's she's definitely you know not going back to Gotham anytime soon. So I, I think this, it's it's a really neat um, kind of almost like a fish out of water tale, but it also harkens back to the days when Batman did more globe trotting in his like you know in the seventies. You know you saw it like you know, Batman was definitely more of a you know, um, you kind of did a little like a more world-spanning type of okay. type of thing. Interesting. You know, you mentioned like those dopey concepts, but you know, when they're executed with like reverence, they can be really, really thrilling. Because like I, comics books themselves is like the one like medium where you can get away with that. Mm-hmm. You know, like the dopier like. Like the Flash TV show pulls it off, but comic books is where that type of thing can soar. So it can be really fun. Well, and and I always think about the the images of, and I, I think this was a, I want to say this was probably Neil Adams who was you know drawing Batman back at this time, but you know when when um when Batman was uh, fighting Ra's al Ghul, when when Ra's al Ghul was more of a his his primary villain in the comics. And, you know, I have this mental picture of, you know, Batman fighting Roz, 
you know, sword fighting, mm-hmm. Batman's just wearing his cowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No shirt. I've seen that. And his, yeah. you know, his pants. And then you've got a shirtless Raza Ghoul. And they're like sword fighting with like scimitars in the desert. And I'm like, where, you know, like that, it looks ridiculous, but at the same time, it, it makes so much sense. Yeah, and it's just really cool looking. Mm hmm. Yeah, so, you know, so maybe we'll get like that kind of air of adventure from Batgirl where she's, like I said, you know, she's not just hopping from rooftop to rooftop, she's actually on the global stage. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah, so 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 this was a, a nice departure from Suicide Squad. This was yeah. Pretty good. It's always I, nice to I, have I a, a palate cleanser. Yeah. And and I'll you know, I'll 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 read just about anything that Raphael Albuquerque draws. He's uh Yeah, what yeah. did he do? Was that Huck that he just did before this? Before? Yes, he did. Okay. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, Huck was really good. I think Hope Larson used to do stuff with Brian Lee O'Malley, I want to say. Maybe. She's definitely, yeah, she's definitely an indie creator. I, I just can't put my finger on what she what she did up to this point. Mm, she did an oh. adaption of uh, A Wrinkle in Time. Okay. I don't know what that is, Sean. No, it's a kid's, it's a, a YA book. Wow. Uh, it's it alright. I uh, had to read it for a class. It was alright. <laughs> I can't rem- I don't remember all the details of it. Okay. I think it involved time travel, maybe. There was wrinkles know. and time and. Yeah, you know, that sort of thing. You that know, old chestnut. That the time and wrinkled and, you know, it was a wrinkle in time, you know, maybe. Yeah. Well, she definitely, well, I mean, she was at least, I don't know how much they worked together. She was definitely married to Brian Lee O'Malley. Maybe that's your thing, Sean. Yeah, because I'm sure they did work together. You and your gossip. Well, I used to see, I think I used to see your name pop up in, like, all the Scott Pilgrim books somewhere. Maybe the websites or something. There you go. We're in cold time. Just saying. Okay. Fair enough. So... Fair enough. All right. Sean, I think you had you had one more, right? No, I'm gonna I'm just gonna take that off the okay. plate because I don't know if I talked about it here on the show or not and I think okay. I already did one collection. No problem. Cool. We will, we will not we will not hold you to it this time. No, I, said, I don't well, think I there's any... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to just do uh, the Steranko run of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. So. Oh, I think I, I, I read that last year. That was really good. <laughs> yeah, like the reprints and stuff? Yeah. Oh, it was so good. And I got the one where it does the, the four-page spread. Yeah, that that's fight. the one I have. That was like, uh, that, yeah. <laughs> that collection will put hair on your chest. Yeah. I don't care if you're a man yeah. or a woman. Yeah. That is like, I mean, Agreed. Jim Steranko, I mean, he is the, 
he is the and he is the comics version of the world's most interesting man. <laughs> yeah. I think the one beef I do have with that that collection is the computerized color. I actually don't mind computerized color, but some reason, like in that artwork, it just doesn't work. It, I don't know what it is. It just some of it just yeah. didn't work well. But there's some. Um, I know this is a real leap in comparison, but um. The comics artist Tom Grummet is one who, like, once computer coloring came in, like, the work just sort of suffered. And Tom Grummet was someone, I think you guys have heard me sing his praises, just like I was singing the Norm Brayvogel praises before. It's someone that I just couldn't get enough of, but yet, after a while, like, I kind of, it didn't have the same impact for me. And a lot of it was as the coloring became more slicker and computerized, and it just, it, it detracted and like sort of just like that old solid block type of coloring that you sort of saw like start to fade out in the early 90s um, just sort of had that much more impact and I know what you mean especially when you look at like I can only imagine what Stranko looks like with modern coloring it just it it, it doesn't I don't know it if it's like a it, juxtaposition almost like a sore thumb it would, it would seem like yeah I mean, it didn't seem like the artwork suffered from it by any means. Like, it was just really great. Like, Dan said it best. It puts hair on your chest. It's just, it's such a great book. Yeah, I mean, just, it's just, um, so much fun. And it really just takes you and puts you right back into the, the swinging, sexy spy stories of the 60s. Mm. You know, when, when, when Nick Fury was, you know Marvel's James Bond, and 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 also partially Marvel's Captain Kirk because it seemed like every other issue he lost his shirt. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> it always Those seemed better somehow. Yeah, but that that was a that is a great collection, and and oh yeah, Sean, when I I didn't know that foldout was in there, and when I turned the page and I started unfolding it and unfolding it. And unfolding it, I was like, "Oh my god, this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in a comic book." Oh yeah, or heck yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's one. Yeah, if if you have any love for Jim Stranko, Nick Fury, or just you know spy comics from the sixties, you gotta you gotta seek that out. Yeah, Th- that that's what I wanted out of the show. Out of the Agents of Shield, that's what I wanted out of that show, and I did not. Ah. That's why I don't watch it now. So, hmm. <laughs> fascinating. So, oh. I, I, I guess technically we just talked about it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> we know there was there was one last book I, I forgot. I, I mentioned it at our pre-show discussion. I just wanted to talk real quick about. Um, the last book, which is uh, from Boom Studios, they, they have the the license for Sons of Anarchy comics, which they um, they produced an ongoing uh, comic a few years ago, which was supposed to it was one of those things where it was supposed to take place in between seasons of the show when the show was still on. Um, this one is more of a prequel, and it's called uh, Sons of Anarchy Redwood Original, and it's a uh, I think it's a miniseries. 
I, I don't I actually don't know. But it it's chronicling the time that uh, Jax was a prospect in the club and not the the president that of the club that he eventually comes to to be. And um, you know, I, I don't normally go in for uh, for a lot of licensed properties, especially when they're based on shows I've watched because you know you have these, you know, especially a show like you're you already have the actors' voices and their mannerisms and their acting styles, you know, in your head. Um, so I, I went into this with a little bit of trepidation and. I was surprised at how um, how much I enjoyed it. They I, they had the a lot of the characters' voices down, and um, the art was um, it was reminiscent of the characters without looking completely uh, photo referenced or photoshopped. Like you can actually tell who the the, the individual characters are without, like I said, without it being com- like a complete. Like a screenshot from the show or something. That's huge because that's my big beef with licensed properties too. Is that because there's such that drive to make it look like the, the actor from the property yeah. that the the artwork becomes stale as a result. Yeah. Now this uh, this was um, I didn't recognize either creator, but the I'll get those names in a second. But the artist he managed to. To capture that Ron Perlman chin, without, like I said, it, it, it's without it looking like, oh, he, you know, he, he, he just uh, did a screenshot from his phone or something. Uh, Luca Pizzari is the artist, and the uh, it was written by Ollie Masters. Like I said, don't know either either of those creators, but. Um, but if they're, you know, they're putting out pretty good stuff like this, I, you know, I could picture them, you know, seeing their names, yeah, more often. Was this Boom you said was doing this? Yes. Now, the only thing that was weird, that was kind of a, kind of weird for me, was now, you know, the the show was on FX, and we know FX does, um, you know, some of their dramas they push the envelope as far as. You know, uh, violence, sex, and language, um, and the you know, like on the show, the the worst you'd hear would be you know, like shit or asshole. You would never, obviously, you would never hear the f bomb. And in this, they actually are dropping the f bomb in this oh, issue. Yeah, yeah and I was it. It really took me took me out of it a little bit because like I know in reality a motorcycle club yeah. <laughs> they're going to be dropping the F-bomb left and right but they never did in the show so you're not used to hearing those characters you know do that yeah so reading them you know swearing like that was a little was almost a little jarring like well that's not right <laughs> these these are the are the this is the motorcycle club that doesn't, you know, doesn't say the F word. the party mouth. No. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they, they, they kind of, yeah, it's, it's in there pretty, pretty liberally. Mm. So. Well, I get, well, there's a medium where they can get away with it. Yeah. 
And technically, you um, can get away with it on cable. There's nothing stopping them from cussing or doing whatever they want. It's it's sort of like a self-imposed censorship, right. basically just for because you want to attract sponsors. Yeah, you don't company. exactly. You don't want to. You don't want to risk losing yeah. viewers, like you said, or sponsors. So, um, yeah, I'm probably going to keep reading this. It's, uh, you know, the, the show's been off the air now for about uh, maybe a year or two. And I wouldn't say I miss it because I didn't really like the way it ended. I didn't really like the last season at all. But, you know, it, it's nice to revisit these characters. And this was this was a period of time where all the characters were still there and still whole and still, it was almost like, you know, the good old days before, you know, before they got into the really, all this really dark storytelling, you know, that was the show. Um, So yeah, like I said, it's, it's fun to every once in a while, you know, revisit characters like that and just read an out of, you know, out of continuity story. So sweet. Yeah. So if you're a if you're a you know a, a Sons of Anarchy fan, I would say you know check this out. There you go. Cool. Good deal. There you go. All right. I don't think there's any announcements or anything going on. We're kind of in a slow, slow season. Yeah. This is you know this is summer's winding down. Back to school is coming up. So things are probably going to be quiet for a while. Um, I know we don't have any movies until November when Doctor Strange comes out. Yeah. Oh yeah. That still oh, looks yeah. kind of good. <laughs> oh, I'm 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 excited for yeah, Doctor I'll check Strange. It out. I'll check it out. I'm excited too. Like I I want to see it. I guess uh, I was actually talking to the mailman this afternoon about it. Uh, That's not random at all. Actually, I talk to our mailman all the time, like at my job. <laughs> He's like a giant nerd. He just talks about like comics and like all this comic book movies and stuff. Like he's usually there, like the first week of, uh, a comic book movie comes out. And I was telling him about like my nerd rage about uh, Tilda Swinton. So. Oh, have you discussed that in this format? I, I don't know. Maybe. What what is I don't know if I've heard this, and I would think that if, if you had, I would have heard it here. What is your nerd rage regarding Tilda Swinton? Just the uh... she's the ancient one. Yeah, and I know. I, I I I get that they chose her, and I was like, okay, that's fine. But her role as the ancient one is like some sort of Irish cleric or some sort of Irish priestess. I don't know what that role she plays in the movie, but. She's the ancient one, and I, I don't know. That just kind of throws me out, like the entire Wait, thing. Like, is her character a departure from what the ancient one was in the the comics? Yeah, he's like this old uh, Asian man. I, I forget. Maybe he's like Tibetan, or I don't know where he is in like Asia. But yeah, he's like this old Asian man. Kind so it's of more like, than just a, a bend of. Race and gender, it's an actual alteration of the character itself? Yeah. Hmm. And I'm not a stickler or uh, for, you know, that the movies have to stick to what the comic book is. I, it's like, I got it, but it's just like... 
Why? It's an odd one. It's an odd one to, to make such a. I yeah, thought it was like, just a, some novel casting. I didn't realize it was an alteration of the core of the character too. Yeah, like why did they do that? Like why couldn't you just hire like someone from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and be like, oh, well, she's the ancient one, and be like, okay, that's cool. Please teach. Well, I say, even if you keep, t- I mean, Tilda Swinton's a fine actress, so I, I don't have an, an issue with her casting. Um, I'm what what, what it perplexes me more is the changing of the character itself. I can almost get like, oh, it's the ancient one, and the ancient one just kind of has an amorphous appearance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or it could the ancient one can look like Tilda Swinton. It can look like, um, you know, was it my pay or whatever from. Uh, kill Bill, you know what have you? Yeah. Um, but I just like it's not even the same. You know, it's a totally different take on who the ancient one is. That one's a little weird. But again, yeah. I wouldn't have known if you wouldn't have told me. So, although I, if it turns out she's some well, Irish priestess, I probably would have raised an eyebrow when I got into the theater. I'm like, I don't remember that part. But well, that's I think you 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 nailed it, Jared. I said you know that. You know, probably not a lot of people are down with the intricate history yeah. <laughs> or continuity of Doctor Strange. Um, so they're probably okay with taking some liberties with the character and casting someone like Tilda Swinton, who is, you know, a really good actress mm-hmm. and, you know, can play this kind of um, almost like androgynous character yeah. or androgynous-looking character. Um yeah, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't bother me, but you know, like again, I don't have the, uh, the, you know, that um, love for Doctor right. Strange, like, like as far as all like the the levels of his continuity, like how deep it goes. Like, i you know, it's like I know Wong, yeah, <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, um, um, it all this is just. I mean, trust me, I'll probably be there. Hopefully the first week it comes out. I mean, and I'll definitely watch it. And I'll probably definitely like it. I mean, it's just it's one of those. It's a nitpicky thing. It's a head scratcher for sure. Yeah, it, it, that's all it is to me. I mean, I it, like I said, it's a nerd rage, which is just you know just a thing. It's it's stupid, but it's like why? Why well, didn't yeah. launch any death and or rape threats on Twitter? So I, I commend you for that. I mean, it, for all I know, she'll probably knock it out of the park, and that'll be cool, but mm-hmm. I just, I don't see the, the reason behind it. It just seems kind of... Arbitrary. It's just a dumb. I'll just go with that. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> all Taylor right. Swinton is dumb. Sean Atkins is the comic book <laughs> bit. Now. We'll, we'll wait until, like, in, in November after we, after we see it and be like, okay... She was pretty cool as the ancient one, but right now I'm just like, why? And that's just a dumb decision. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Well, that probably ought to wrap it up. I would hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, this has been episode 230 of Comic Book Pit. I'm Dan. I'm Jared. And I'm Sean. And we'll see you next time.